Chapter Five, 5:15 p.m. Hey, Dad, what's up? I asked when I got home. My father was in his lazy boy, remote control in hand. What do you mean, what's up? He asked, genuinely surprised. The fight's on tonight. Forty dollars on pay-per-view. Corn chips, bean dip, loud grunting male noises, beer for me, soda for you and Tom. I practically slapped my forehead. The fight. I'd totally forgotten. It was a big thing. Not because I'm a boxing fanatic. I'm not. But it was a big thing for my dad to actually spend $40 on pay-per-view. He was doing it as a male-bonding father-son thing. Me and him and Tom, and probably one or two of my dad's friends from work. That's tonight, I asked. What time? Starts at 7 o'clock. Do your homework, eat something containing vegetables to make your mom happy, and then grab some couch. I did a quick mental calculation. The fight started in a little over an hour. The last championship fight had lasted only three rounds. That would leave me maybe 30 minutes to morph and fly to the hotel. Should I come up with some excuse for bailing out? No. No, there was no way my dad would buy it. Excellent, I said to my dad. I'll be here. Don't eat all the bean dip. You know what happens when you eat bean dip. My mother came into the living room. Am I even allowed in here? She asked mockingly. When does this room become the temple of male aggression? Not until seven, my dad said. Until then, we allow females. Especially if the females remember to pick up chips on their way home from work. Chips? Wouldn't you rather enjoy some nice carrot sticks and hummus dip? My dad and I just stared at her. Kidding, she said. Just kidding. I have chips. Are Pete and Dominic coming over? Yeah, but you don't have to feed them, my dad joked. Those guys are lucky I don't charge them admission. I raced through my homework and hoped the fight would be the usual two or three round easy knockout. The one good thing about rushing was that it didn't leave me too much time to think. Thinking meant worry, and worry gets in the way of getting things done. It was a tense family gathering at seven o'clock. Tom seemed as anxious as I was to get away. I could guess why. You see, Tom is one of them. He is a human controller. He had to keep up appearances of normalcy, same as me. But I guess he was trying to get away to go to the grocery store site too, same as me again. Tom and I fought in the same war, on different sides. It was strange thinking of Tom, still alive deep down inside his own head. Trapped, powerless, but able to see and hear and think. Did he enjoy watching the fight through eyes he no longer controlled? Was there anything, anything at all, he could enjoy? It didn't help, having thoughts like that. When I started thinking that way, the rage would just build up inside me till I felt like I'd go nuclear. I told myself, for probably the millionth time, that I was doing all I could to help Tom. All I could. All I could. Fortunately, my dad and his work friends made plenty of noise, so no one noticed Tom checking his watch, or the fact that I kept glancing toward the kitchen, where I could see the wall clock. By round six, I knew I was in trouble. In round seven, neither fighter even looked tired. I decided if it went past round eight, I'd have to make some excuse, no matter how lame. 
In round eight, a lucky uppercut connected. Oh, that had to hurt, my dad said. Five bucks as he goes down, my dad's friend Dominic said quickly. He was right. The challenger staggered, wandered around on rubber legs for a few seconds, then toppled over. Boom! The fight was over. It was now 7.45. I was already late. I snatched the videotape out of the VCR. Dad, can I take this over to Marco's and play it for him? It's almost eight. It's dark out, my father objected. Yeah, Tom said. You might get lost and never come back. And that would be such a pity. I'd have to use your room for my weights and stuff. It was exactly the kind of dumb big brother joke Tom would have made. But of course, it was just something pulled up from Tom's brain by the yerk in his head. For just a second, it occurred to me to ask him, Hey, Tom, what's the big secret with the grocery store? Just tell me, and I can stay home tonight. I smiled at the thought. Then, flash! Green! Green! Everything was green! It was the greenest place on earth. Trees, moss, vines, ferns. Green everywhere. Marco was there. And the others. They were all there. Marco was talking. In a jungle fighting brain-stealing aliens and 10,000 annoying species of bugs, and our resident space cadet is a hot-looking monkey. Somebody wake me up when we get back to reality. Flash. I was back. Back listening to Tom tease me like he was actually Tom. Back to hearing my dad say, Walk. Don't ride your bike. Not at night. Especially not when it's about to rain. The vision was so powerful. So real. Not like a dream at all. But like I was actually there, in a jungle, listening to Marco complain. I felt my heart pounding. I felt sweat forming on my forehead. What in the heck was going on? What was happening to me? I noticed Tom back out of the room, sliding away like he was going to the kitchen. That brought me back to reality. I grabbed the videotape and took off, still reeling from the insane feeling of being yanked back and forth from one reality to another. I could hear my dad and his friends rehashing the fight round by round as I went up to my room and opened my window as wide as it would go. It took me 25 minutes to morph and fly to the empty motel. I know, I know, I'm late. I apologized as I came in for a landing. I misjudged the distance to the ground, hit it too hard, and rolled over a tangle of wings and talons. Nice landing, Tobias said with a laugh. Are you okay? Cassie asked me. She rushed over and picked me up. Then she set me back down because I was starting to demorph, and I was getting heavier pretty quickly. I'm fine, I said as soon as I could speak. Embarrassed, but fine. It was a shabby little hiding place. The back windows of the motel were covered in plywood. The plywood was covered with graffiti. There were overgrown weeds and broken bottles, and, for some reason, an old washing machine. We get to visit all the best places, don't we? I said dryly. Axe was hugging the darkness against the wall. He feels a little obvious out of the woods. With good reason. Anyone who saw him would run away, screaming like a little kid. Unless, of course, they were a controller. A controller would know exactly what he was. Well? Rachel asked, looking at me. She was waiting for me to say, let's go. But for some reason, I felt a strange reluctance. I felt... I don't even know what I felt. Just that that moment, that very moment, was terribly important. The others all stared at me, waiting. 
All I had to say was, let's go. Instead, I looked at my watch. 8.19. 8.19. Like it meant something. Like, oh man, I was going nuts. I was losing it. What was the matter with me? Should we do this? I wondered. I was surprised to realize I'd spoken out loud. I'd been talking to myself. Why not? I say we do it, Rachel said. There's a huge shock, Marco muttered. Everyone who is surprised Rachel wants to go for it, raise your hand. Yeah, I said, shaking off my doubts as well as I could. Yeah, let's go. I was pretty sure it was the right thing to do, but the responsibility was on me. I could have stopped it. I could have talked them all out of it. I could have done something different. But I didn't. At least, not then. Let's morph, I said.